Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. To start off our series on autoimmune diseases of the central nervous system, we'll talk about multiple sclerosis, which is a demyelinating condition characterized by inflammation, loss of myelin, and eventual scarring and loss of neuronal tissue. The prevalence of the disease has been increasing steadily over the years, and for an unknown reason, the increase is disproportionately higher in females. The age of onset is typically between 20 to 40 and geographical variations exist. Interestingly, a further distance from the equator is correlated with an increase in the incidence of the disease. Having said that, the incidence is lower in Africa and Asia and is highest in uh, white populations. According to the uh, MS Australia website, there are 23,000 people living with the disease in the country and 75% of these are female. The risk factors for developing the disease are vitamin D deficiency, and as I'll mention again in the pathophysiology, it seems to have a uh, vitamin D seems to have an immunoprotective role. And Epstein-Barr virus infections also correlated with the disease, and so is smoking. Family history is a strong predictor. The risk of getting the disease in, is increased about 30-fold in a monozygotic twin. Genetical correlations exist too. The strongest being with the HLA-DRB1 gene that codes for the MHC class 2 molecule. A few hundred other genes are also implicated and they're all related to the immune system. Now we can discuss the pathophysiology. As I've mentioned, it's an autoimmune disease characterized by T1 and T17 cells, autoantibodies and complement proteins, and macrophage-induced damage to the myelin sheath surrounding the axons of the central nervous system. Interferon gamma also seems to have a direct role in damage to the myelin. The blood-brain barrier is disrupted and white matter is infiltrated by immune cells. Vitamin D has a role in dampening down these immune responses and it's also understood that T regulatory cells which reduce the, immuno, which reduce the immune response are also affected in uh, multiple sclerosis. Myelin is produced by glial cells called the oligodendrocytes which surround the axons. Normally these result in solitary conduction where the electrical signal skips the myelinated portion of the axon, greatly increasing the speed that the action potential travels. In the absence of the myelin, potassium channels are exposed, resulting in hyperpolarization and hence a conduction block in the network. Following the demyelination event, the oligodendrocyte precursor cells survive and may even increase in number. Some oligodendrocytes survive and, and together these two remyelinate the destroyed tissue, forming these lesions called shadow plaques. As lesions evolve, they undergo gliosis, which is scarring. Axons are usually spared, but partial or total destruction may occur. At the same time, sodium channels eventually redistribute on the demyelinated axon to remove that so-called conduction block. They're temperature sensitive, so as a result, they're affected by increases in temperature and metabolic alterations, which explains why the, condition, the clinical condition of the patient may worsen in fever or after exercise. Most clinical diseases are asymptomatic and silent. Each new lesion results in axonal loss and cumulatively they cause destruction and reduction in function of the axons. The exact trigger of the disease is still under contention, but it's thought that viral triggers, glutamate-induced excitotoxicity, oxidative injury and mitochondrial damage may be involved. The disease can progress in four different ways. The first one is relapsing and remitting multiple sclerosis where the sufferer experiences bouts of attacks and very severe loss of function, uh, which uh, subsequently resolves, and then later in time, they get another attack. In secondary progressive multiple sclerosis, these bouts are eventually followed by a period where the clinical functioning of the patient starts to decline 
consistently until portion where they lose a significant amount of, of functioning. In, in primary progressive multiple sclerosis, you don't get the bouts, but you get a very steady decline of function over time. And the final one is progressive relapsing multiple sclerosis, where they suffer from the primary progressive disease, but at the same time they also suffer from re, uh, from bouts of uh, of the disease. And this is a much rarer version of the disease. The symptoms in a patient depend mainly on the location of the demyelinating lesion, and these include uh, mainly limb weakness, reduction in motor function which could include loss of strength, speed, dexterity, fatigue, and gait disturbances. Similarly, there may also be loss of sensation, and, and this may be picked up in a physical examination. The patient may feel tingling and pain in, in their limbs. Optic neuritis is also very common, and this is characterized by diminished visual acuity, dimness, and reduced color perception in the center of the vision. This may progress to severe loss. Periorbital pain on eye movement is also possible. If the, cranial, if the sixth cranial nerve is affected, then diplopia may be present. They can also suffer spasms and facial weakness. Interestingly, they may also suffer from facial myokinesis. They can also suffer vertigo and sexual dysfunction. They also complain about tiredness and eventually they may develop depression. Now it's unknown whether this is a result of clinical, the other clinical features of multiple sclerosis or it's caused by organic lesion in the brain. Uh, bladder dysfunction is also common and so is constipation. Eventually cognitive dysfunction also takes over uh, and is characterized by memory loss, impaired attention, functioning, processing. Um, euphoria is also possible but it's rare and so is loss of consciousness. Now, I'll talk about the signs as well. So, pyramidal signs, which include spasticity, uh, hyperreflexia, and a positive Babinski sign. The tendon reflex may be also, uh, reflexes may also be lost. Remembering that this is in line with upper motor neuron lesions. Fund fundoscopically, there could be inflammation of the optic disc, which is uh, referred to as papillitis. There could be optic disc atrophy and uveitis. Uveitis is a little rare. Nystagmus may be present and horizontal gaze palsy might also be present. Um, other eye conditions would include one and a half syndrome and acquired pendular nystagmus. They may also be positive for Lermit's sign where bending of the neck may induce pins and needles and uh, sensation in the limbs. Now, the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis clinically is uh, a bit of a tricky one, but gen the general idea is that you try and define it by the typical nature of the multiple sclerosis, which is the uh, sort of relapsing and remitting subtype of the disease, uh, where one or more clinically distinct episodes present presenting with clinical features of multiple sclerosis is followed by at least partial resolution. Now, it's a lot hard, harder than uh, it sounds, and it's especially harder when it's a primary progressive disease, which is very hard to quantify. But in those cases, it's, uh, it's very atypical and monophasic, and it may need more investigations. But uh, essentially, I'll, I'll talk about the McDonald criteria, which is one way of diagnosing the disease. And like we've mentioned, the hallmark of the disease is dissemination in space and time. Uh, space referring to the, the, the lesions of inside of the brain and time is the temporality. And in terms of location, there are four typical sites in multiple sclerosis, which is periventricle around the ventricles of the brain, uh, juxtacortical around the cortices, uh, infratentorial and spinal cord. The diagnosis is confirmatory if the two different attacks with evidence of two separate lesions can be demonstrated. It's a little bit harder when they two different attacks but there's only clinical evidence of one lesion. In these cases the diagnosis can be given if 
the lesion can be demonstrated to be in two out of the four um, typical regions that uh, multiple sclerosis usually presents. Otherwise, we wait for a further clinical attack, which affects a different central nervous system site. The primary progressive multiple sclerosis is a bit harder to diagnose because it's very, like I mentioned, it's very hard to quantify the disease. But uh, essentially, you follow the disease up and wait f and, and uh, clinically demonstrate a year of disease progression. At the same time, you need to show dissemination in, in space where there are two more lesions in four of the different central nervous system. So at this point, our differential diagnoses, um, uh, which should be considered in atypical cases that don't fit the criteria, would be neuromyelitis optica, sarcoid uh, vascular disorders, SLE, um, central nervous system lymphoma, which is very rare, or other even rarer conditions like acute disseminated encephalitis. Otherwise, if it's particularly atypical, then other diseases like strokes and um, other, any condition that causes neurological deficits should be considered. Also, syphilis uh, should also be considered in at-risk patients. Uh, who may suffer tertiary forms of disease. So we'll talk about the investigations. The full blood count, UEC and LFTs, won't be able to give you much of a clinical idea of uh, that will help you in diagnosing the condition. But to eliminate other conditions, it's very useful to take a, a vitamin B12 and folate levels in the serum. The anti-nuclear antibodies are also useful in uh, ruling out uh, other autoimmune diseases like SLE. Similarly, syphilis ser serology can also be used to rule out tertiary syphilis. Investigations are generally unrequired in patients with two attacks that with objective clinical uh, evidence, but imaging is definitely confirmatory. You could use CSF analysis, uh, and this should demonstrate mononuclear cell pleocytosis, which is increased lymphocytes. You'd also find an increase in the amount of IgG antibodies in the uh, cerebrospinal fluid. If protein is also raised, then you should also consider the differential di uh, other differential diagnoses. Uh, MRI is most sensitive and there should be evidence of uh, blood-brain barrier uh, vascular permeability by which is demonstrated by the gadolinium contrast leaking into the uh, white matter. T2-weighted MRI may also show hyperdense regions which show uh, atrophy of the brain. So once we've diagnosed that, we can talk about the treatment, which is uh, based around the idea of uh, treating acute attacks in relapsing and remitting multiple sclerosis, uh, disease modifiers, and symptomatic therapy. So in acute attacks, you first have to identify the exacerbations from and differentiate them from pseudo-exacerbations, uh, which would result from conditions where there's an increased heat, um, say a fever or, or exercise-induced uh, bouts. And these are generally treated with glucocorticoids, or you could alternatively um, just watch. Uh, if the patient's on corticosteroids for long, you also need to address the side effect profiles uh, of the drug. Now, the disease-modifying drugs are there quite a few of them. And as you can imagine, they're um, aggressive and some of them have a pretty prolific side effect profile. Now, please pardon me for how I'm going to butcher the names of these drugs. The first one on the list would be uh, interferon beta, which seems to have an immunomodulatory role by reducing uh, MHC class uh, to expression on antigen-presenting cells. And they reduce, uh, they, they reduce the inflammatory response by reducing inflammatory cell chemokinesis into uh, lesions. And at the same time, they also reduce T-cell proliferation. 
it's generally used in relapsing and remitting uh, multiple sclerosis or uh, secondary progressive with um, with relapses. It's a pretty aggressive drug and a lot of people suffer side effects um, like flu-like symptoms and it's quite hepatotoxic. The next one is glatiramer acetate, which is an inducer of T-cell suppression by blocking uh, MHC to the myelin binding protein on, on the myelin sheet. And at the same time, it also alters the balance of cytokines to promote a more anti-inflammatory state. Natolizumumab is an anti-alpha-4 um, B1 subunit of integrin, and that reduces the cellular adhesion of leukocytes into the site of the lesion. Fingolimod is a sphingosin-1-phosphate inhibitor that, that reduces lymphocyte response from primary lymphoid tissue. Teriflunamide is an anti-metabolite. In terms of symptomatic therapy, you need to uh, address uh, the patient's symptoms such as pain, which can be um, countered with drugs such as pregbolin and uh, depression, which you'd give antidepressants for. Um, for the neurological decline, you may uh, decide to use acetylcholinesterase inhibitors such as donazepil that, um, like we've talked about, um, is also used in diseases such as Parkinson's. Physiotherapy may also be useful um, and a healthy li lifestyle is, is advised. Swimming is usually generally preferred over other forms of exercise because of the cooling effect. For tremors and ataxia, you may also decide to use benzodiazepines such as clozapam. Now finally, I'll finish this quite long episode with the prognosis of the disease. Uh, most patients ultimately suffer from progressive neurological disability and death is usually a response to these complications. The prognosis is worse if patient is male or older at onset. At the same time, the more aggressive a disease is at presentation and the more the a higher number of relapses uh, is associated with the worse prognosis. If the lesion load is higher in MRI, that may also indicate a worse prognosis for the patient. So that's it for this episode. I hope it wasn't too confusing and I'll do another episode on the other rare causes of autoimmune diseases of the central nervous system next week. Thanks for listening and I hope to see you next week. Our episode today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.